Well, greetings, New Life Downtown. We're continuing our reflections on Romans 8. This is part five, and it's called This Present Pain. So far as we've made our journey through Romans 8, we've talked about how there's no condemnation anymore for us because we are in Christ Jesus. In fact, God condemned sin in the body of Christ Jesus. We've talked about the tension between the flesh, our corruptible mortality and carnality, and the spirit. And we've talked about why that is, how the spirit of resurrection life is at work in us even while we carry around this body of death, as Paul says. We've also talked about how we're not slaves, but we're sons and daughters with an inheritance. We're heirs to a glorious inheritance. And today, I want us to reflect for a few moments about what it means for our suffering and pain right now. Okay, so we know we're children of God. Okay, we know there's no condemnation, but what about the reality of our circumstances? How do we make sense of our suffering? And for many of you, maybe as you're watching this in this time of the coronavirus and the quarantines and you're possibly dealing with economic hardships in your homes, with your businesses, and there's many, many layers of grief and loss and many, many layers of suffering and pain. How does Paul make sense of suffering in the meantime? I wanna say a few things to us this morning as we reflect on this. The first is that this present pain cannot compare to the coming glory. This present pain cannot compare to the coming glory. So in Romans 8, verse 18, Paul writes, this is how I work it out. The sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting in the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. So he puts this image of a scale before us and he says, you can't, it's not even worthy to put it on a scale. It, it so outweighs it, the coming glory. Verse 19, yes, creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. It's interesting that Paul, having told us that we are children of God, having told us that we are heirs to this promise, now says it's not yet fully revealed who we are as children of God. We know that we're children of God, but our glorious inheritance, the glory of resurrection life taking over, resurrection bodies, hasn't actually been revealed. And in fact, creation is on tiptoe with eager expectation. A couple things to note about these first few verses. The first is that in the, the New Testament, the, the, the world around us is not referred to simply as nature or some sort of impersonal thing. It's referred to as a creation, which implies that there is a creator. And the reason we are meant to think of it this way is the creator is faithful. The creator is also the redeemer. That that which he has made, he will redeem. And so Paul's talking about a God who is faithful to his people, a God who is faithful to his promise, and a God who is faithful to his project. In fact, this is the theme that runs through the book of Romans. Faithfulness to his people, Israel, faithfulness to his promise to Abraham, faithfulness to his project of creation. In fact, the, the way that Paul describes creation on a tiptoe with eager expectation, you get the sense that actually what's going to happen is not a return to Eden, but a completion and perfection of creation itself. Sometimes we think what creation is waiting for is to go back to how it was. And Paul says, no, 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 the hope of redemption is much stronger than that. It's going to set the course correctly. It's gonna put it back on a new trajectory so that it will complete and be perfected just as it was intended 
to be. The new heaven and the new earth is not a restoration of creation to its original form. It's a renewal that is so strong as to constitute something fresh, a creative act which carries creation to its intended goal. New creation is not restoration, but consummation. It does not make it what it was. It makes it something more. The second thing to note from this text is that suffering is a result of creation slavery. So verse 20 in Romans 8, creation, you see, was subjected to pointless futility, not of its own volition, but because of the one who placed it in this subjection, in the hope that creation itself would be freed from its slavery to decay, to enjoy the freedom that comes when God's children are glorified. Early in Romans 8, Paul talks about how sin like a power, sin with a capital S, had us enslaved. Sin worked like a contagion and infection. And Paul says it wasn't just humans that were affected or infected by the sin, it was creation itself. It was subjected to slavery. The same sin that worked decay and death in our bodies works a kind of destruction in creation. And so thirdly, for now, we groan. And we groan with eager expectation. Verse 22, let me explain. We know that the entire creation is groaning together. So earlier he said creation is on tiptoe with expectation. The coming glory is gonna outweigh this present pain. And yet, for now, we groan. Going through labor pains together up until this present time. And then he says, not only so, not just creation, but we too. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us, we've got the taste of this. Even so, we are groaning within ourselves as we eagerly await our adoption, i.e. the redemption of our bodies. And many of us can relate to the groaning right now. You think about the lament, the grief, the ache of suffering. Groaning deep within our bones is a way of saying this should not be. It should not be this way. We have stories, maybe vivid memories of being with loved ones in different seasons of our life, uh, maybe hospital bedsides, and groaning with people. I think as a pastor of the many moments of phone calls or pastoral visits where you just, there are no words, there are only these groans. And sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to groan. But I'm reminded by a friend who uh, has raised her children and they're out of the home. And she said to me, she said, every woman who's been in labor knows that once labor starts, it's not going to stop. And Paul uses this metaphor of birth and he says, look, there, this groaning is actually labor pains. It's not pleasant, but it points us forward to eager expectation. Paul uses a different metaphor and calls it first fruits. The rest of the harvest is coming. So even here in our present pain, we know that it can't compare to future glory. We know that suffering is not God's intention, but the result of creation slavery. And so now we groan, but we do so with eager expectation. Let expectation fill you this day, even as you reflect on the hope of coming glory.